Well, good morning to the Redeemer family. Uh, love you guys. Wish we could have been together today, but uh, there is a raging ice storm outside, so uh, I'm sure you're comfy and cozy with your family, and we're going to take some time this morning uh, in our houses, you know, just like the ancient church did it as they gather around the old podcast, <laughs> and uh, we're going to, uh, I just want to encourage you guys in the goodness of the gospel as we start the Advent season, <clears throat> and so... Uh, that, that word Advent is you lead up to Christmas and kids have Advent calendars and you talk about Advent and, um, and, uh, contrary to the consumer idea, it's not about eating a piece of chocolate every day until Christmas. Uh, for those of you who might be new to, uh, the church, uh, the word Advent, it actually means arrival. And so really what the church has done historically is they take the number of weeks leading up to Christmas and call that the Advent season or the arrival season where really we fix our gaze on Christ's first arrival and it's to get us to think about the implications of a second and so um, as I think about Christmas and you're all probably uh, maybe you're listening to this right now with your family and you're sitting around some Christmas decorations if you uh, did that some of you might be have got your tree up early and that kind of thing I remember um, uh, one Christmas that stands at my mind you know kids you know you have these gifts these presents that you remember that are are so fun <clears throat> and one that stands at my mind is I was nine years old. It was like 1984, and I got this uh, original Optimus Prime Transformer toy, and I was just like, I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. It was so great. It was so cool. So cool to have for a grade eight kid uh, for me to work on my Optimus Prime voice because in grade eight, uh, my voice was like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, my name's Paul, and want to come over and play Transformers? Autobots roll out." And so it was like a real paradoxical kind of a thing to have an Optimus Prime voice work on it in grade eight. But anyway, I thought it was the greatest thing. And, um, but today I have no idea where that toy is kind of wish I did because they go for a lot of money on eBay. But the point is it, that gift faded. And at some point when I was a teenager, I don't know when I had a lot, I had a lot of those original eighties transformers, all die cast metal and they were in a box. I have no idea where they are. I don't know if I, if I threw them out, I don't know what I did with them. But the point is at one point I just thought the gift was incredible. And then at some point the gift didn't matter to me at all. Well, our text today uh, that I'm going to read from is first John chapter one, uh, the first nine verses. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm battling a cold if you haven't noticed. And uh, this, this is a text that reminds us of the gifts, you know, the gift of the first Christmas, Christ, but also the gifts that came with Christ. And, you know, they are just as meaningful and relevant today as they were when we first received them. If you've been a Christian for, for five minutes or for 50 years, the gospel doesn't fade. It's not like a gift that fades. The gospel is a gift that we, we keep unwrapping because as your life takes twists and turns, right, as you go through these different seasons, maybe you're listening to this, and uh, your Redeemer kids, right? Maybe you're an elementary school, maybe a high school student, university. You keep going through these different uh, different seasons in your life, but there's no end to how the gospel applies to your life, how it awakens your soul, how it quiets your heart, recalibrates your mind, and really, at the end of the day, reanimates your way of living. God's grace is a gift <clears throat> that just absolutely never fades. So let's read First John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, 
and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may uh, you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is God's word. Now, God's grace is this gift that absolutely never fades. You've heard me many times quote uh, the theologian Charles Hodge, who says this about the gospel. He says that it's so simple, a child can understand it. And at the same time, it is so endlessly rich that the wisest theologians will never exhaust its depth. So from this text today, we're going to look at um, three things that the, that the advent of Christ gives us. Uh, to just get us thinking about the goodness of God's grace that came that first Christmas and the gifts that we continually enjoy. The first thing is that the advent of Christ, it demonstrates our need for grace. And when you look at verse 1, you see that it says, um, Paul, or, or, sorry, John refers to Jesus as the word of life, uh, this eternal life that was with the Father. Not that God has life or gives life, but is life. Not that Jesus has it or gives it, but that he actually is it. And we talk a lot about how um, this is so unique to the Christian faith because Jesus calls himself the life. John 14, he says, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and I am the life. And that's different than uh, all the other uh, world religions. Um, for example, in Buddhism, uh, you know, the goal is to save yourself from constant rebirths. You know, you want to be supposed to be, become one with the universe. And Buddha's last words were, behold, O monks, this is my last advice to you. All component things in this world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your own salvation was the last thing that Buddha said. In Hinduism, it's the same idea where you are, you know, through a life of right conduct and righteousness and moral law and duty, the goal is this reunification of the soul with the Brahman. Again, in the end, um, you're being absorbed, your soul's being absorbed into the universe and you do this through all of your righteous and good living. In Islam, you know, 600 years after Christianity, Muhammad comes out of the cave, he declares himself a prophet, that he's got this revelation from, from God and... Uh, the goal of Islam is to keep the Quran, uh, and in the end, you'll be judged based on the life you live and your adherence to the principles put forward by the Prophet. But here in verse 1, what John gives us is is the purpose of Christmas. It is the purpose of the Advent. It is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It's that Jesus did not come as a great prophet to teach us how to be accepted by God. But Jesus is God who came to live the life we should have lived, but we're not living and die the death that we all deserve to die. But in the end, we will not receive that judgment because of, by God's grace, we're already accepted by God. And so what uh, Advent teaches us and what First John here reminds us is that we didn't need more teaching on how to keep God's law. We didn't need someone to come and live out an example of what it looked like to keep God's law, though Jesus did both of those things. What we actually needed was what God provided, which was that someone would come and take our place to keep God's law. And so this demonstrates immediately that salvation is by grace, apart from our works, our need for God's grace, which leads us to the second thing, and that is that um, the advent of Christ, it offers this gift of reunion. And if you look at the text, you're going to notice that Paul uses this really physical language. He's saying, if you look at it, he says, 
um, that which we've seen and heard and touched. He's using all these physical words and what and why? Why have we? Why, why have we seen? And why have we heard? And why have we touched? It's to have this fellowship with God. The babe in the manger is in this image of the infinite lengths that God went to to come to us, to love us, and adopt us, and know us, and walk with us. It's this. He comes in this vulnerability. This teaches us that. You know, God, you know, John's using this language of, of we saw him, we, we, we know he's testifying of it because God is not a concept to be believed or an idea that warms the heart or a powerful force that's distant and impersonal. Christmas is very personal. It's God coming to us to reconnect with us and, and uh, give us this gift that fills our restless souls. And so he's using these terms to get us to think about a physical Jesus, not because the, Chris, the Christmas story is just a nice kind of warm story about this babe in the manger, but John's writing this way because it's like he's swearing a deposition. We saw it, we heard it, we testified of it, we, t- uh, we, we touched uh, the one who called himself God, who touched himself the Christ. And here's the significance. Here's the significance of God becoming a man. Think about it this way. Just this past year on July 2nd, we had this total solar eclipse. And none of us can look at the glory of the sun, right? You got to go get those glasses so you can look at the sun. None of us with the naked eye can look at the sun and observe the, the flames dancing on the surface of hot plasma. We can't see the detail. We can't see anything. And in fact, the sun is too powerful. You tell kids not to look at it because if you look at it, um, it burns your retina. Okay, you can't look at the sun. You have to look at the sun through a filter. You have to look at the sun through something else. It's just too powerful. Well, in the same way, we could not look at God or know God or comprehend God. He is too powerful. We need to look at God through a filter. We have to look at God through something else. You know, in the Old Testament, God said to Moses, you can't look on my glory. Well, here in this passage, John is saying like, we saw his glory. We heard his glory. We touched his glory. At Christmas, the babe in the manger is God coming to us in a filter so that we can see him and comprehend him. And so uh, we can look at Jesus and see the Father. We can look at the Son, see the Father, see his love, see his brilliance, see his wisdom and his compassion and his grace. In, um, in Christmas time, you sing the, uh, uh, a carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, written by Charles Wesley in 1707. And there's a line that says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, right? Veiled in flesh. And this filter that we are able to see God through. Now, our God w- went to these incredible lengths to get close to us. And so he's not a, a, a concept that we compartmentalize until Sunday. Our God is a father who loves us, who wants to be close to us, who wants to walk each day with us. And so this is what uh, John is giving us to enjoy as he's uh, testifying to this physical nature of Jesus, um, that the babe in the manger, God with us, the one that they saw and heard and touched, um, it tells you that you're, you're, you know, that this love that our, that our hearts are telling us is so core to the meaning of life is true, right? <clears throat> this text is teaching us that this God of love who preexisted the world came into the world. This God of love who preexisted the world, it was his love who created the world. It is his love in the end that is going to absolutely restore the world. And so this is a... Um, a beautiful reminder of that as we see, think about the physicality of our God coming to us in Jesus in a filter so that, so that he could be known and we could be we could be loved. You know, in Christ we're given the gift of spiritual reconnection, healing our uh, sense of soul level dislocation with God and that's verse 3. And this gift of spiritual reconnection, it heals our sense 
uh, of of uh, dislocation uh, with God, and it makes our joy complete. And that's verse four. And so the Advent, firstly, it demonstrates our need for God's grace and reminds us of that. Secondly, it offers this gift of reunion as Jesus comes, as God comes in a filter, so that we so that He can actually be comprehended. And then thirdly, and finally, uh, the Advent of Christ it provides this gift of ongoing cleansing and renewal. Uh, one of the marks of Christmas in our culture uh, is um, the lights, right? Um, <clears throat> now you've got LED lights, so the kids can't experience, you know, Griswold Christmas, where a bulb goes out and a million bulbs don't work. So that's sad that they don't get to enjoy that. But anyways, it's fitting that lights um, are one of the marks of Christmas because Jesus is, of course, the light that entered into our darkness to save us from our darkness. Um in verses uh, 5 to 7, we find that he says, If we claim to have fellowship with God, who is light, and we walk in the darkness, then we lie and we don't live out the truth. And so how do we understand this text since all Christians sin? All of us who are listening to this sin, the the, the one uh, doing this podcast sins. So how do we make sense of this? If we have fellowship with God, who is light, and we walk in the darkness, you know, we're lying. Well, we have to understand John, John's metaphor here of walking in darkness or walking in light. All throughout John's books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, even the book of Revelation, darkness and light are these strong themes. And, and the word walk here, it means to give yourself to a pattern of living, a particular way of living. So uh, <clears throat> it's like in the, you know if you were a kid in the 90s, you bought a, 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 a Chicago Bulls jersey with the number 23 on it because you were trying to pattern your game, you know, after Michael Jordan. You'd pattern your whole way of going about it. You're, you're, you're looking to something, someone. You're patterning yourself after them. <clears throat> you're an imitation. Everybody, every kid in the 90s was sticking their tongue out when they were making free throws. Everybody was doing it. You're just patterning yourself. And so what John is saying is, you know, all Christ, of course all Christians sin. We all fall into sin. But there's a difference between falling into sin and patterning yourself uh, after a life of sin. There's a difference between um, having weak moments like we all do, struggling with sin like we all do, and falling into a, a moment, a relapse, backsliding into darkness. That's different than patterning your life after darkness. And so <clears throat> in verse 5, uh, it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And so when the illuminating power of God's word and God's spirit convicts us, um, uh, you know, confessing our sin, it softens our hearts. And cover, covering our sin, of course, will harden our hearts. There's this old adage that says, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And so that first Christmas, the God of light pierces darkness to rescue us from darkness, to bring us into his light, to call us into confession so that our hearts can be continually cleansed and softened and molded to live in congruence with the God of light because, of course, that's where we belong. And if Jesus is our Lord, then we're free to confess our sin, right? When we live like we're Lord, uh, we're compelled to cover our sin. Right? If Jesus is our righteousness, uh, we're, we're free to confess our sin because our failure does not define our identity. But if our reputation is our righteousness, we're going to cover our sin because our failure is actually a direct threat to our identity. So verse 8 says, of course, if we claim that we don't have any sin, we're deceiving ourselves, we're lying, the truth is not in us. And verse 9 goes on to say, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us of our sin, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 
This is a gift that never fades. The constant cleansing, the constant renewal, the constant realignment being brought into congruence with the God of light of whom we, of where we belong. The cross has already taken sin's guilt from us. Confession is given to continually loosen sin's grip on us. And so because Jesus lived the life that we ought to live, but we're not, and because he died taking the judgment that we deserve, but we're not going to get, and because he has provided everything for you that God has required from you, and he rose again, proving his claims, because all of that is true, when you sin, you do not need to live in the shame of it. You do not need to deny it. You do not need to justify it. You are free to confess it. And as we confess our sin to God and to the others that our sin has hurt, our confession, it softens our hearts and it continues our renewal. See, the advent of, of, of Christmas, that first coming of Christ, it demonstrates our needs for God's grace. It is a gift of reunion and it is a gift of constant cleansing. I hope you're encouraged as you have a restful day with your family and friends. God bless you guys. I love you and I will see you next Sunday.